Hello everyone, my name is Sophie von Lohr and I'm here today to talk to you about a lot of interesting things. But before I get to that, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. One, I'm a neuroscientist. Two, I'm a bioengineer. Three, I'm a system engineer. I will share a little bit about myself and my quirky background and where I come from as a kid in chaos that has come to invent a robotic arm that works with eye signal as a kid that has now been very interested in leadership and creating devices that hopefully is gonna change the course of humanity. But who knows, this might be interesting to you and who knows, you might learn something. I hope you do, stay tuned. Welcome back to this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites with my fabulous guest, Sophie Von Leer. Uh, she has got three engineering degrees. She <laughs> created a robotic arm with a unique eye signaling process at the age of 21. Uh, she did that for the military. She has gone on to create uh, nanocarbon brain electrodes for dealing with Alzheimer's. Um, you know, she's done a couple of things, worked with some big organizations, um, ranging from Freddie Mac to uh, Lockheed Martin to all kinds of organizations. She's gone into neuroscience and neuroleadership, and really, uh, we've explored where she came from and how she came about, and it's been a fascinating journey. And where we've gotten to at this point is this realization that the, the lab rat of Sophie's life has become Sophie. <laughs> so let, let's, let's jump into that. You know, we ended the last section with you talking about how it's come to a point in your evolution where now the fascination is with you, which you say is far more complex than developing a robotic arm and that you've developed psychological experiments for yourself in where you test yourself in order to understand yourself as a system take take us into that a little bit oh of course um i mean let me let me give a fine print before we go on because sure. when every time you talk about scientifically looking at things people think oh you're cruel scientists like or you don't have humanity in it right um i must say that i'm very against suffering and i'm very against conflict inflicting suffering on others and myself um mm -hmm. to the level that after one of my experiments that led to the nanocarbon electrode i actually became a pescatarian because i just decided not to eat things that experience pain um so that being said what i'm doing hopefully is humane in every yes. level um so i try to use any outside environmental factor including my husband uh, <laughs> that sounds ominous I, I just like to use my husband yes he is a part of the experiment most of the time so um so there's this concept of self-control right like how you define it's different from self-construct the self-control is how you define yourself based on whether you come from a collective mindset or individualist mindset mm -hmm. and him being german and me being persian we have a very different uh <laughs> self-control his is very individualistic and mine is very collective so 
one of the experiments, like I really want to find out what his thoughts are about certain ideas. I literally ask questions. It's very inquiry based. And before I ask those questions, I come up with a hypothesis, right? I try to test my lens. Mm-hmm. What would be my idea of his answer? Oh, I see. Right? right. Because the lens is basically a byproduct of my self-control and my worldview and my self-construct and what I know, right? Mm-hmm. I want to see if I have enough awareness to extend to have enough level to empathy, basically, to understand his way of thinking mm-hmm. and how I can improve that to understand his lens. And through understanding his lens, I understand mine. Yes. So, for example, let me give you a very practical example. Um, so, Christmas, right? So we were talking about having a tree this year. Um, he recently got married. This is our first tree. And I wanted to see what are the things about the tree that makes him excited? Like, is it the lights? Is it the ornaments? Is it the greenery? Like I was coming from Iran that having a tree is not very like common or could be dangerous at times. <laughs> Right. Sorry, we're going to have to give you a lashing. Why? You had a Christmas tree, you naughty person. So now we're going to give you a public taunting. Right. I mean, there Very are real. Christians that live there and they have happy lives and their freedom is to some extent okay. But if you are born into Islam, you better not think about converting. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the idea was like, I was kind of curious to see what his thoughts are on the specifics of the tree. So this morning I was asking him, I was like, so Wolf, uh, what is about the tree exactly? And he goes into this excruciating details about this really weird German ornaments, right? I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the level of importance and emotional weight that mm-hmm. he puts on these ornaments. Mm. And through that and my level of judgment on seeing how I respond to this question, the hypothesis of maybe I'm not as open-minded as I think I would be to some extent comes true. Once again, this is just one out of many circumstances that I have to test. Mm-hmm. And once I have a better understanding of, okay, then me that's open to other cultures might need work then I can kind of come up with subconstruct under that and see what are the things that makes me annoyed. So talking about those dark sides, I think understanding the dark side of what you find annoying and what you find irritating and triggers you is probably the best way to address your shadows. Mm -hmm. That represents something that you are missing or something is wrong with you. And that's where the work lies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because um, <clears throat> this is, I think, where we fall apart uh, as humans is the primary operating system of a human being in order to survive is a coping mechanism or that's, not, that's actually not fair to say, a, a set of coping mechanisms that is... Uh, ranging from extremely simple to extremely complex um 
but the, those coping mechanisms are designed inside of a fixed environment. Uh, the fixed environment are a set of systems of culture. So the systems of culture are the culture of family, meaning the people I grew up around, um, the system of culture that might be the even as, as simple as the village or the city I grew up in, and then maybe nationality, and then maybe religious factors and uh, even language patterns uh, that go with certain languages. Uh, for instance, you know, the way that German is spoken versus the way that French is spoken or Italian is spoken is different. Um, uh, and so each one of those things has a cultural impetus to it that forms a bias or biases inside of individuals um, that create a rationale um, because as I like to say people love to tell rational lies called, and that's what that's when we uh, rationalize something it's a rational lie we've made a, something logical and rational that's actually not it's subjective and <clears throat> and getting to that place of de detangling one's bias it, it is is interesting to do and it, and it's particularly fascinating in a in a cross-cultural marriage i'm cross-cultural marriage too in a cross-cultural marriage um because one has to find one's own bias in that um so there are things i say my wife's like what the hell are you talking about um, and now my wife, you know, loves, loves, loves British humor because I was born in the UK and lived in Australia. It's a very British, dry, sarcastic sense of humor that is very different than the American sense of humor. My wife is Fijian, so she had British education, but she uh, grew up from being 10 years old in North America, in Canada. So, you know, so she's got a mixed culture, I've got mixed culture, and now mixed cultures come together. And that brings with it a bunch of biases, but also the, the, the possibility of confronting biases that wouldn't take place if we'd both grown up in Vancouver, Canada, or we'd both grown up in Tehran, or we'd both grown up in um, wherever it might be. You know, there's, there's, and so it, it's fascinating for that. How does Wolf respond to that it, 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 does he come at it from the same way is he pragmatic and 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 uh stereotypically german or is he something else altogether oh he's lived in six other countries so i would say it's not typical german and i'm assuming typical german wouldn't live in that many countries but he's definitely nothing typical about him he's a fascinating human being that i am privilege to know and love um, so what is what again going back to that experimental mindset it's not an experiment if he's winning right <laughs> <laughs> so the intention is to so is it the double blind is you've got no blind. idea but i'm experimenting on your deal <laughs> yeah and and I now you can remove the ball from your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and the exactly. safe word is neuroscience. <laughs> right. Um, I got him uh, recently to this like Asian uh, cuisine a lot. And now he's obsessively eating Chinese food. 
and who right. guy doesn't know it's been conditioned um but it's just it's been good humor probably from only my side right. but <laughs> what i'm privileged that if he does know i'm trying to redeem myself uh if he does know I think he would find it funny. And, and, and he's also very self-reflective and his metacognitive abilities are very strong. So I let him in once in a while and he learns a lot. He's become a much better leader ever since we've met uh, because I think leadership is a form of, you know, understanding yourself and understanding humanity and giving it back to others as you want them to give it to you. So it's a, it's a form of empathy. And I think it's become more empathic through, through this process. So, so let's go there, but let's start by first defining for our viewers and listeners metacognitive, because I want people to have a better grasp of that. Um, I, I think that oftentimes uh, people put psychology in a, in, a, in a certain bracket that is very limited and they do the same with leadership. So, so when you say metacognitive, what, what's your context of that? Well, my understanding of it is that process of double loop learning. And then you're like, what is double? No, so the process is that reflection, right? That's the easiest way to thinking about thinking, right? Understand, like, revisiting what you thought about and trying to analyze and poke hole and understand its nature and its quality. Yeah, so this is one of the things I want people to understand is if you think about any philosopher you want to think about, that is a metacognitive individual, that is somebody who thinks about thinking. And, and most of us in our daily lives don't think about thinking we think about what we're doing we think about what we want to do we think about something but we don't think about how we came to the thinking we had about the thing and and so that level that depth is is um certainly that of a, a philosopher and a researcher but if you also think about it and transform it and just to bring it into uh, very um, contemporary times, that is how AI is designed. So as you think about this, AI is designed to think about how it thinks about something. That's how AI is growing so insanely fast and maybe even dangerously fast because it thinks about thinking. Um, it's not, it's thinking about thinking, but it's not self-reflective in the thinking. It's thinking about the thinking when we get into the philosophical side of it as humans we're thinking about the thinking but we're also thinking about the philosophical implications of that to ourselves that then come to an emotional context and an emotional set of biases or a humanity like you said about no longer choosing to eat meat or whatever or animals that feel that's a different piece again so when you take all of that, so we've got this, again, coming back, we've got this girl born in chaos, we've got growing up in a, a highly restrictive system, then we've got you being a very uh, highly developed child who is a special, puts in special school, comes to the US, 
and the weirdness of that, finding yourself at university at 16 years old, uh, uh, multiple engineering degrees, uh, robotic arms, nanotechnology, uh, that's led you into self-reflection. Then you, now you're in the leadership world. Now you're doing your PhD in leadership. Again, leadership is one of those things that is misunderstood, I think. Um, you and I agree that leadership is really advanced psychology. Yes. So talk to us about how this is all translated into what you're doing with psychology. Um, and again, in the context of uh, anti-fragile, um, as in uh, cognitive leadership, as in, you know, shadow going to the shadow in order to be a better leader walk us through some of that how that's sort of come into fruition including the experiments i thank you for asking that it's 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 what i'm very fascinated about so i feel like because my mission in life is bettering human condition and i've done it through you know putting the pieces of the puzzle together i've done it through technology i've done it through neuroscience i've done it through you know, everything. Now it's time to touch those humans that are decision makers. Mm -hmm. I think the importance and the weight of their decision makes them important. The, the leaders of our country, the leaders of our organizations are the ones that matter, are the ones that their understanding of themselves matter. So therefore, that's that's the focus of um, me. But also to understand others, I have this principle of understanding myself. So it's a kind of a practice of self leadership. Mm -hmm. so, uh, going back to that concept that you said, um, making yourself anti fragile. I mean, I, I can talk to you about how that would fit into adaptive leadership model or you know transformational leadership model, or any of those. But I think it's different. And you and I know that. Mm -hmm. And the difference is that I think most of the time we attach the concept of leader immediately to the context of whether that would be organization, to the country, to, the, to what they do. They, we look at the behavior. We look at the actions. We look at what is the output of this process. What we don't look at is the internal processes that goes on in the head of that human mm -hmm. and how that person and the flux that it's gone through and the flux that it experienced on a daily basis actually shape them constantly. Mm -hmm. And great leaders, in my opinion, are never born. Great leaders are a byproduct of internalizing the fire mm -hmm. and making them into something constructive. So the difference between managers and leaders is that managers, you know, just manage and do things and it's action oriented, whereas leaders inspire. Leaders make a difference on a higher transformative level. So making leaders anti-fragile and working on their internal processes would lead to changing the impact and the level of impact. And I think it would exponentially change humankind for the better. 
And again, coming back to where we were much earlier in the show, which is normal isn't healthy, normal is whatever you got used to. And the problem is that um, oftentimes people are put in positions of leadership who have not done the self-reflection, right. who don't know themselves, and they continue doing what's normal. What is, what is, the, what is the goal of the work that you're doing with that because you know we all know um leaders are going to hold on to the power they're going to hold on to their um their sense of how to do it you know well this is how we do it is maybe not said as much as it used to be but it's certainly thought just as much and getting people to be adaptive to create agile leadership cognitively agile but also literally agile um is a challenge what's your how do you confront that so if when you are going out and working with in these organizations which are large yeah i think it's a matter of changing a system from being closed to an open system and when i talk about system i don't mean organization i mean the individual themselves a human is also a system. And when you yes. open it, what I mean by that is that you make the process inquiry-based. In the simplest form I can put it, you tell people why you should ask questions, mm-hmm. why you need to examine your assumptions and how to do it. So I'm a very huge fan of Edgar Schein's Humble Inquiry book and how the process of inquiry allows for this system to transform itself from closed to open. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, I think going back to creating cognitive habits, once you open the system, there's no way to close it again. Uh, That's, I guess, good news and bad news. If Mm -hmm. you start the process of self-reflection and inquiry and questioning your assumptions and getting people to tell you what's going on. You'll never can go back to your closed mindset of, this is who I am, this is what I am, this is what I need to do. So I'm gonna challenge that, um, having done what I do for 30 odd years. Um, I will um, use the model to explain um, the heroic journey. Um, there is the moment of decision that there must be more. Okay, great. So you begin to examine, self-examine, and then there's an increase in the pain and the realization that it's got to change. And so there's a, and now an impetus, not just a decision, but an impetus. And then there is the meaning of the wise individual on the path being the Yoda of your life or whatever it might be at that time, who will, who will guide you um, and then there is the courage to now leave behind what you've known and step forward into something new. And as you step into that, then there is the moment where uh, of enlightenment, where things are so much better and you can see the things you couldn't see. And Yoda is the best thing since sliced bread. Um, and then there is the call back to the familiar. There is because it's gone from much better 
um, where things, uh, so it started off being terrible uh, and you made a change and now it's much better and you're all enlightened, you can see these things. And then the next stage of that is much worse um, because everything that was familiar is gone. You have burned down the houses and you long psychologically to go back to what was. And what I see in that is that, you know, that journey has created the open, it's opened a closed system, it's opened it up. And now as we come back into the pain or the potential of pain where things could be much different, but now I have to, I have to actually let go of everything that's familiar. I thought I could just, I could take some of the good stuff and put it in with this. No, no, the good stuff gets burned up too. Everything gets burned up. Evolution is a destructive process. It's not a, as we'd like to think of it, it's destructive. It burns everything down. When, 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 when the dragon becomes a dragon, it doesn't hang around part of it as being a cat. It's a dragon. Everything is burned away. And at that point, what most people will do is just before it becomes a dragon, it will pull back enormously into a closed system again and go, you know what? I'd rather have the old pain. I'd rather have the familiar. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a line in the movie, The Matrix. And in The Matrix, one of the members of the team um, is having dinner with Smith, with the agent Smith. And he's eating his steak and he goes, I know this is just code. I know this is just an illusion, but it is a delicious illusion. And, that, and he gives up the entire team for the illusion. He's been in a closed system. He became part of an open system. He's learned about the matrix and now he's chosen to go back. So my pushback on that is, I think that that's an idealized idea that you can't close the system again. I think that is the nature of humans to go back to the familiar. And it's a second level, a much bigger level of courage to go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go on again. And each time there is a new baptism of fire that where your system is closed again, but now it's closed around a new knowledge and then you have to open it up again. So each time is a new level of courage, a new, and so I say it's concentric circles of a heroic journey. It's not a heroic journey. It's a concentric circles of constant heroic journeys. And they may be in different areas of your life. So you may not be in one in your relationship with your lover, but you may be in one in your career. You may not be one in your career. You may be in one with your finances. You may not be one in your finances. Maybe one in, in your spirituality. And they can all be layered upon each other in this multi-dimensional reality uh, of you ever at the thirds, concepts of multiple dimensions of universes and realities. Walk, you're walking around with them. So... I, I have no idea if I just threw a massive rocket at you. Oh, no, no. I, that was something that you... I think you're absolutely right. I just, let's, let me add, um, and let me agree first, and then add another dimension to this concept. Fabulous. So I think dimension of the circle is correct. I think it's more of a spiral. Yes. You come back, but you don't come back on the same level. In the example of the matrix, when you're eating that steak, the awareness of this steak not being real, that makes it a higher level of transformation. 
Yes, so you are back, you're still eating it, but at least now it's not as tasty because you have the awareness that, oh God, this is not real. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah, I, 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 but, and I think that that, that, is, that is where the saying ignorance is bliss comes from. Right. Um, because once you know, you cannot not know, right. but you can deny and that is, you know, and that is one of the things that I see in leaders all the time in the, they, they'll come to me, as you know, I only work with a select few people a year and they'll come to me and they, you know, they are definitely at that place where they, they want this transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, you know, they've had enormous success and now they want this deeper journey into themselves to become leaders who are in the way that you were talking about leadership, you know, they're profound and deep and deeply human. Um, But in that, there is the burning up of the identity. Right. And when that identity is destroyed, that is the most painful thing in the world because we are so attached. You're right. Unlearning is is painful. Unlearning is a process that people underestimate on how painful the process of detachment from who you are is so uh, being there done that you're absolutely right (laughs) all right we are coming to the end of this section we're going to come back with a final section and in the final section we're going to talk with uh sophie uh about what all this means moving forward um in her life um with her uh length uh 50 degrees (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, with the multiple degrees, uh, what what she sees at, at the future. And I really want to, uh, I'm going to push you a little bit to be uh, a little bit predictive. So, you know, based on, you know, you've done the nanotechnology, uh, you've got the, the, uh, the robotic arm, the bionics, um, your understanding of leadership and, uh, and open system, closed systems around, the psychology of human beings, but also at a level of engineering. Um, and I really want to hear what you think about where we're going in the future and what that, what's the possibilities are and potentially the warning signs. So I hope you'll stay with us and come back for the next section of this delicious episode of Curiosity Bites, where I am just loving my conversation with Sophie Van La, who is quite an extraordinary human being to say the least we'll see you on the next episode stay curious my friends stay curious